Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Shay Holbrook from Larson Motorsports, Jet Dragster Driver in the IHRA Nitro Jam Drag Racing Series, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the April 18th edition of Speedway Digest, Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This episode 159 of the series. I'm your host, Adam and Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Mike Mullally and myself will be talking a little bit more about racing attendance, discussing the weekend of racing at Barbara Motorsports Park, and of course, chatting about whatever other motorsports topics pop into the conversation. First off, we'd like to take a brief moment of silence for Peter London, a local racer who passed away following a horrific crash at Palm Beach International Raceway. London was a racer for in IMSA for a, for several years. He's recently been racing more in FERA. He's also done some other racing, and he died in an accident where he was coaching someone at Palm Beach International Raceway. No details have really been released yet as to what sort of car it was, who was driving the car, etc. Uh, the racetrack is being rather quiet on the subject to local news organizations, but the the main deal is that it was a one of those racing incidents. Uh, hopefully, it was something that the uh, they can figure out how to make safer in the future, and that's really all there is to say about that right now. After taking a frustrated second-place finish in race one at Barbara Morris Force Park, Brian Ortiz, our guest this evening, fingers crossed, relished his run to the top of the Battery Tender Global Mazda MX-5 Cup presented by B.F. Goodrich Tires Podium in race two, his first victory of the 2019 season. Post-Sinder Gresham Wagner in the number five six sideways racing Car, held the lead for the opening nine laps before race one winner Celan Roland took over. But just four laps later, determined Ortiz and the number four Kruppler Motorsports machine moved to the front and never looked back. If he had looked back, he'd have been entertained by the battle between Roland, Kemper, Luke Oxner, and Michael Carter. Carter, who spun. Roland was issued a drive-through penalty for incident responsibility, while Carter was able to recover and finish sixth in his number eight Copeland Motorsports car. All the jockeying position let Ortiz break away from the field to take the win. 15-year-old Robert Novaker, number 13, six sideways, took advantage of the incident between Roland and Carter to come home in second, 1.135 seconds behind Ortiz. Coda Race 1 winner Drake Kemper returned to the Global Mazda MX-5 Cup podium to claim third place, as well as the Battery Tender Hard Charge Award, after moving up eight spots from start to finish. Luke Oxner narrowly missed podium as number 77 white racing machine, finishing fourth for the second time on the day. Robert Stout, who changed cars for race two and started from the back of the grid, climbed all the way to fifth in the number 28 McCombie McAleer racing entry. John Deere, the second, number 16 sideways racing and past guest on the program, continued his perfect record in the ND1 class, winning by 1.245 seconds over teammate Nathaniel Sparks, number 86 sideways racing. The duo spent most of the 
raced trading positions with Hernan Palermo, number 20 slipstream performance, who finished third. Following round four of 12, Ortiz is provisionally the new championship leader with 100 points, Kemper is second with 93, and Roland is third with 91. Rounds five and six will take place June 20th through the 22nd with the NTT IndyCar Series at Road America and Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. We are now pleased to welcome Brian Ortiz into the Thunderdome and thank him very much for calling in this evening. Hey, how are you? Hello, how thank you, you for having me on. Doing good. How about you guys? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. First off, congratulations on your victory at Barbara Mars Forest Park a couple of weeks ago. Can you tell us a little bit more about the race? Sure. Um, it was definitely a, a, a great race. I think this year the 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 racing up front has been very 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 tough and uh we just make sure during practice uh to to set up the car and and have a good car for the race because uh on qualifying we were not good because we didn't have any draft but i knew we had a, a car to battle and uh i i felt very very strong on on the first race but our, our car was uh, overheating, so I wasn't able to make that last lap pass on on Roland. Uh, but on the second race, we fixed that, and we were able to just go to the front and, and show what we got. Um, I'm really looking forward for for the rest of the year for sure. What's your favorite thing about being a Mazda MX-5 Cup driver? Well, for definitely, this is one of the most intense. Uh, racing series by far. Uh, I, I I've been able to to race in different pro series, uh, and, and this one is is just so intense from finish from, from the beginning to the finish of, of the race that it just make it more more uh, challenging for us as a driver. But also uh, you enjoy racing for sure. Uh, like we. Uh, we as race car driver, we don't want to just we want to win, but we don't want to just go and be by ourselves. We want some good battles and good hard racing, and this series for sure give give that for for us and for the public. Growing up, who was your racing idol? Well, uh, for me, Fernando Alonso is it's been my idol, and I think still uh, is. I've seen what he's been able to do the last couple of years, just jumping from one car to another and being extremely fast in anything he jumps. So I I grew up having him as an idol, and I still uh, do. What's your most memorable racing moment? Uh, my most uh, memorable moment uh is is being able to to win uh, last year this year and the, every every time i can win with my family especially my dad that is the one that goes to all my races that's very special for me and uh i will enjoy that every time he he come and spend the time with with me in the races so it's not just one moment i think every time make it special with him by my side and, and be able to, to do good and and win, for sure. And what are your goals for 2019? Uh, pretty simple. We need to keep on what we're doing and win the championship. Uh, that's our goal. And 
uh, I think we're we're on our way. We we have the team, we have the car. I feel comfortable, and it's just a matter of of not making mistakes during the year and and closing the the championship. Well, let me go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally. Has a couple of questions for you as well. Sure. So my first question, what licenses are required to compete in the MX-5 series? Well, I I I know they they require uh past experience on 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 other uh series. Uh also they they require the FIA license and obviously paying the, the, the credential for IndyCar series that is the sanctioning body that have uh, the global MX-5 Cup. And can you tell us a little bit more about the cars? Sure. Uh, these cars are uh, all done by uh, long road racing in North Carolina. Uh, they are uh, basically the the new Miata cars and they they have all the safety upgrades they have a uh, engine upgrade and some modification that uh, allow allow us as, as drivers to be safe in, in the car but also uh, enjoy more power more performance uh, and also being very uh, similar one car to another like that's that's what makes this so competitive because every car is done in the same place with the same things and everybody have the same equipment. Uh, so you just, you just make it that we, we're, we're all in the same thing, battling with the, the same equipment. And it just make it, um, that only f- few changes that we could do with the team and as a driver will make a difference. And how similar are the NC MX-5s compared to the ND MX-5s? They're similar, but but they even though from the last year to this year we have more power uh, and, and you can feel the difference. It will change the gearing. Uh, it will change uh, how you apply power on the corners. Uh, but from from even the NC to the ND cars, it make it even more. I think one is more uh, nimble than than the other and. Um, it's it's not far, but still have some some difference in be, between each other. And my final question for you: of all the races you've competed in, which was your favorite and why? Um, I think my first race in uh, in uh, what is now the Continental. Well, it was the Continental Tires Sports Car Series. Uh, in 2006, it was my first professional race in in VAR. Uh, it was definitely very special for me because uh, it was the first time I was able to run with all those people I I've seen on TV and I look for. Uh, and and it was the first time I was able to to race against them. Uh, so I think that that that's the the race that is my favorite and most special. And where do you see yourself in five years? Hopefully I'll be working uh, as a factory driver for for, uh, 
uh, any of the, the, the big brands and, and be able to compete in top equipment in a top series. Uh, it's just a matter of, of uh, luck and, and keep performing. Hopefully that, that happens. But we'd like to wish you lots of luck for the remainder of this season. I know currently you're in the uh, you're in the lead in the in the MX5 series. So hopefully that continues for the rest of the year and, and you're going to become the champion for this season. Thank you so much and have, thank you for having me in, in the program. Thank you and have a have a happy Easter and a great weekend. Thank you. Once again, that was Brian Ortiz from the Mazda MX-5 Cup Series. We're very happy to have him on this week. We had some issues last week with timing and all that, but that does happen. And it was nice of him to come back on the program this evening. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner? Maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport. Contact either Michael Motley or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. We've got a few minutes before our next, our next guest is good to come on. So let's go ahead and listen to a selection from Ron Pastana and the pit crew. This is 99 Speedway.
Once again, that was 99 Speedway by Ron Passan and the Pit Crew. You can find more information about them by searching for Ron Passan and the Pit Crew in your favorite search engine. I know that there's been some, some talk about a, uh, a little bit of an incident out there at the Wenatchee Super Oval in Washington State last weekend. Can we talk a little bit more about that? What's the, what's the deal with the, the young man who caused the incident out there? Well, the young man happens to be 11 years old, and he races junior late models in California. And his family is known around here for their late models. Well, Saturday night, he literally was just destructive. He hit every car but the two lead cars, and he actually caused someone to get hurt well then Mm. I got curious and I looked up the Wenatchee Valley Super Bowl rules and it clearly states that you have to be at least 12 to race at that track anyways that aside he has been kicked out of the Roadrunner class until he is of age but why was he in the class to begin with is my question, and how come he was allowed to hit literally every car on the track? I mean, if he went up, if they would have just black flagged him, that car wouldn't have been put in the wall. But, I mean, it is what it is, but it's like, I just don't understand how they can bend the rules that far for just one driver. Like, what about all of the other 10, 11-year-olds that want to race, that have to wait until they're of age. What made him so special? My thought is it probably has something to do with money, because that's generally how those those sort of things go. Um, but you never know. Um, maybe he's just that good too. Uh, maybe he has the sort of the sort of uh, Kyle Busch mentality where he's going to rent everything except for the pace car in order to win the race, because uh, that's where he started out too. Was really like a little kid bouncing off everybody in the in Las Vegas there. So you never know. There's all sorts of issues that go in, into play, but it, they definitely should have made it clear, um, especially to the other the other competitors, that, he was a, that it was a 10-year-old kid there, seeing how they felt before they allowed him to compete. And if it was the sort of thing where, they, where the entire field didn't have a problem with it, then I think it would have been okay. But as you stated before on your, on your Facebook page especially, that they weren't all aware of that, and there's... Uh, that's one of the underlying issues. Also, the fact that they they bent the rules for this one kid—you never know what the what the main underlying factor is for that. Um, but it sounds like they need to do a little bit of work there. I know that the the track's been been expanding. They've actually shown up on on some media coverage throughout the country. Map TV, I think, did a little thing on them before. So they definitely have to have to try and if they're going to be playing with the big leagues, they have to. Obey by the play by the rules, and and when they don't, they have to explain why they didn't. Especially when it causes yep. problems. Well, and what would have happened if, I mean, rules reverse? What would have happened if that little that little kid got hurt? Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I there's rules for a reason, and when the own track isn't going to follow them, I think there's a bit of a problem. Yep, and as a there's a major problem there, but they, you never know what the what their thinking was. And uh, if somebody from the track is interested in coming on the program, we'd love to hear what their thinking is. We do a, a 
we've done a segment, a couple of them so far this season, where we talk to track promoters and, and get information about the facility, and this will be a great great chance for the people from the Wenatchee Super Oval to come on the program and, and talk a little bit about us and about their track and about what their what their plans are for the future and maybe touch on the their little controversy from this past weekend. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're out there listening, please contact us and we'll set something up. Should be pretty good. Moving on from there, American racer Shay Holbrook, our next guest on the program, will be racing in the W Series as the 18 driver field was announced recently in Spain. Holbrook survived a grueling four-day on-track test used to trim the field of hopefuls from 28 to the final field of 18 that will compete for the championship of the Open Wheel Series. Drivers competed 3,000 laps of the Circuito del Almira in Spain before the women representing 13 nationalities were announced for the first all-female single-seater racing series. I know that she's been competing over there in Europe for the past few days. She actually came off a, an airplane very recently, so we can ask her a little bit more about that. Four of the drivers were nominated as reserves. Jay Holbrook, who's been on this program before, has a long racing career in touring cars and drag racing, and started Formula Racing this season in F3 America. She won the Sabolt Hard Charger Award in the opening race at Barbara Morris Forest Park after starting last to finish sixth. We are now very pleased to welcome Shay Holbrook back into the Thunderdome. Hello, how are you yes, doing? Hey, how are you guys? Doing pretty well, thank you. Thank you for having me back on the show. I know you're in a a lot different machine now than you were the last time you were on the program, but uh, we'd like to congratulate you on winning the Hard Charger Award at Barber first. And uh, can you tell us a yeah, little more I, about how the race went? Yeah, I appreciate it. It's super good to be back on the show. It's been a little while, and uh, now we have some new topics to talk about, so it should be a good, interesting uh, a show for us. But, yeah, I, uh, I'm really excited to be back with SCCA Pro Racing. I mean, my career stemmed, you know, the past, 10 years in Pearly World Challenge and uh, coming up through the touring car ranks. So it kind of is like a, a nice homecoming in a way, um, but I'm in a different chassis. Um, haven't done very much single-seater experience and to be uh, returning back to FECA uh, in the F3 Americas uh, program and circuit is pretty cool. Um, kind of feels like, um, like a new opportunity. And um, the, I was very fortunate to be able to kick off uh, the season opener with F3 Americas um, at Barber Motorsport Park, and you know, I think for me, there's like a lot of um, really great correlation and uh, between the W Series and having you know some success in that, and being able you know to to earn my spot as one of the 18 in the first inaugural season, um, and the hype of of what that program and and what that's going to be like for women in motorsports, and and also for me personally for my career and. Um, you know, to have the opportunity to continue my single-seater uh, career and experience back in the States is awesome. And Barber was a really cool weekend, an amazing learning weekend. I mean, first of all, the car is just, like, super fun to drive. The, the Lige chassis is um, really nimble. Uh, and then when you have a, you know, Honda Racing HPD packaged uh, turbo engine in that, it's really quite cool because for me, you know, I've, I've <laughs> you know, I have such a long history and career with Honda. Um, you know, it's cool to know, like, exactly the correlation of how much power you're giving and, and hearing that turbo and feeling the boost come in and, you know, a very light, um, obviously super nimble, you know, high-speed car. It's, it's very, it's, it's been a real, like, blessing in disguise. Barbara was an awesome race weekend. Um, we didn't quite have the, the finishing that we were looking for. The first race uh, had a little bit of an incident on track uh, that forced us to retire the car. And then uh, because of that, we didn't finish uh, 50% of the laps. 
Um, so we were forced to start uh, last in race two. Um, kind of an interesting start because it had rained the, the night prior and it was soaking wet in the morning. So the series um, mandated that we all, ta- all cars to start on rains, um, but we knew that the track would dry up. So you pretty much either had to make the decision to you know, manage the, the hand-cook rain tire uh, throughout the, the duration of the 30-minute stint, or, you know, you gamble and you come in very early on and switch to the to some dry tires. Well, we decided to stay on reins, and it worked out extremely well for us, and we were able to pick up several positions for a P6 finish. So not too bad. It was uh, If I'm going to get a hard charger award, then that's definitely one that we'll take. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about how driving a Formula car compares to racing in a jet dragster? <laughs> well, about the only thing that's similar is, uh, the, well, the jet dragster doesn't have a suspension, and it's very, uh, you know, rough and, and abrupt, depending on, you know, the surface of the drag strip. Um, and I would say that the Formula chassis is an, a very stiff uh, chassis, does have quite a suspension, um, but it's very stiff in comparison to a lot of the other things that I've driven. Um, so, you know, some similarities and just, you know, raw feel of feeling like, you know, you're in a go-kart and your, your center of gravity is very low and um, you can feel every single little nuance in the track. Um, but of course with the F3 chassis, uh, you know, you have a lot of adjustability and there's many things that you can change to, so that the driver can adapt to the car and vice versa. Um, but, uh, it's, it's been, uh, you know, <laughs> my jet car career, um, it feels like it was a little, little while ago by now. Um, I, in a way I miss it because it's just such a, it's just such a fun car to drive. Um, my first drag racing experience, you know, going 280 miles an hour in under five seconds and a quarter mile is. Uh, pretty gnarly <laughs> and uh you know it doesn't doesn't have a ton of correlation over to the to the f3 Liger chassis but um it, there's there, certainly you can feel every every little bump you feel in your body and i actually have the bruises to prove it so <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about the, the uh, helping to set the land speed record i saw that that was kind of interesting yeah, the land speed record was a really cool opportunity that came up um, a few years ago, actually. Uh, Denise Mueller and I, she is a uh, champion cyclist and, at, at, like, an Olympic level, a very, very good cyclist. Um, she came out of retirement uh, many years ago, and her coach, John Howard, who at the time was the 1985 land speed pace bicycle land speed record holder which is um, a record that is typically done at like the Bonneville Salt Flats where a bicyclist uh, drafts if you will behind a vehicle creating you know because I mean a bicyclist can't really go much faster than maybe about 60 miles an hour you know without a you know a descend um, on their own power so if you're trying to achieve speeds greater than that you need to be in a vortex you need to be drafting something so this record is not a very um, popular one because it's a crazy one there's only been some like 20 under 25 uh, cyclists to attempt and to uh, reset records 
Um, the 1995 record holder was uh, Fred Rumpelberg, who went 167 miles an hour. Um, Denise and I got together kind of through some mutual friends. Uh, she was looking for a female pacing driver for this, and uh, my name, I guess, kept coming up, and this was three years back. So um, we went out for the first time in 2017. Um, we were successful in, in – you know, a female record because, frankly, we were the first women to be to have attempted this uh, potentially, you know, this type of record. Um, but that wasn't the overall goal. I mean, the overall goal is, you know, in land speed records and in racing records, records are records. There's not female records and male records. We wanted to go after that overall of 100 achieving uh, at minimum at least, you know, <laughs> a little bit over 167 miles an hour. And uh, in 2018. We uh, successfully um, broke the record, not broke the record, but shattered the record at the Bonneville Salt Flats behind a lakester, which is pretty much like a, a drag, um, like a dragster with a fairing off of the back, um, creating that vortex of 184 miles an hour. Um, it was an unbelievable, um, an unbelievable experience. Uh, definitely probably the, not probably, it was definitely uh, the hardest thing that I've ever done because it's one thing to, you know, strap myself into a vehicle and um, and, and go ten tenths and, and and risk risk what it takes to be fast. Um, and you know, of course, there's there's a danger in in some regards in what we do, and um, and we accept that and and we respect that. Um, but to you know have a bicyclist at 184 miles an hour off of your back bumper, no further than four feet away because otherwise that person is out of the vortex and getting spit out the back at 184 miles an hour and being able to have that fluid dance and kind of tango over the course of four miles and not really having much visual on her except for the smallest smaller than an iphone um screen much like half of what an iphone screen would be like that's my my video you know of her with zero suspension going down the salt flats, bouncing off the rev limiter. Um, it's absolutely absurd and crazy. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it's something that I will remember for the rest of my life. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done, um, to have that responsibility of, you know, somebody else's life. Um, because one minor mistake, uh, from, you know, me, um, could end in, you know, the, <laughs> you know, devastation for her. So uh, really, really cool, um, something that I certainly will never forget and something that I probably will never do again. <laughs> Let me go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally, has a couple of questions for you, and then I'll have a few more in a few minutes. Okay, so my first question is, how difficult was it to transition from Jet Dragster to F3? Um, the, uh, well, you know, there's, there's some correlation in that, you know, the raw speed of both vehicles are, uh, you know, pretty extreme, you know, in the jet dragster, although it's in a straight line, you know, at 280 miles an hour in a quarter mile in under five seconds, a lot of things are going on. And there's a lot of things that you have to be attentive, attentive of. Um, and in the F3, um, you know, we're, we're typically reaching speeds of around, you know, 150 to 160 miles per hour. That's about where the car kind of tops out. Um, and you're having to incur, you know, other forces, other lateral forces 
So it's very, it's extremely physical. And when things are happening as fast as they are in like the F3, um, you really have to be very precise with your reactions. And I think the, I think, you know, driving the dragster and, and needing to be as precise and quick and, and sharp and transferring, you know, some of that ability over to, you know, what the F3 um, entails and demands, uh, you know, quite, you know, worked out, you know, fairly well. Uh, but the cars are so different to drive. They're, they're really hard to compare from drivability standpoint. Um, but certainly, you know, from a reaction, you know, focus standpoint, both are very similar. And of all of the facilities you've been to with a race car, which has been your favorite and why? Huh, that's a good question. Um, of all the facilities, like racing facilities that I've been to, my favorite. Um, hmm. Well, you know, you know, Watkins Glen is just such a cool high-speed cambered track. Um, and especially with the new pavement there in the past few years, the grip level is just fantastic. So whether you're in a touring car or you're in a GT car or you're in a formula car, it's fast. And um, it's very roller coaster-like. It has great, you know, a great fluid feel to it. And, and corners are really interconnected there. And it's technical, but it's also ballsy and high speed and um, so any car that I've driven there, I've always enjoyed. I've driven touring cars there. I drove, uh, like, a Ferrari Challenge car there. I drove just last year in Lamborghini Super Trofeo. Um, so it's one of my one of my favorites. It's also kind of, in a way, a hometown favorite because I've got extended family in upstate New York. So um, that's it's always, you know, just a cool cool venue to go to, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's in the Finger Lakes, and it has great, beautiful scenery. It's fantastic for fans. Um, you have the ability to watch a lot of areas of the track and just from one vantage point. Um, and it offers just great amenities. So it, that's one of the, the fa- one of my favorites typically on the schedule, but uh, you know, I'm, you know, this, this racing drug that we're into, it, it's all good. It's hard to nitpick. I, I pretty much love, you know, the opportunity to go anywhere and everywhere. And my final question what advice would you give someone looking to get into motorsports? Yeah, um, you know, advice that I would give is, you know, some I give this just based on kind of my experience and my upbringing in the industry. Um, so if you're, like, not familiar with how I kind of got into motorsports, um, you know, I, 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 I never would have thought I would be where I'm at today. I, I never would have thought that I would have any kind of hobby, career, or anything in racing. Um, I come from, you know, a military, very blue-collar, humble working family. Um, so we didn't come from an affluent background. And I didn't come from a, a motorsport heritage. Uh, we didn't even watch racing. I mean, I knew who Jeff Borden was. I knew what NASCAR racing was, but that was the extent of my knowledge. When I got involved, it was through a NASCAR experience. I was a right seater and um, just fell in love with the industry. And how... I was able to make things continue for me and work for me was, and this would be my advice is be as resourceful as you can, because no matter who you are and where you come from and and what you got working for you, there's always going to be some kind of odd stacked against you. And some people have it harder than others. And, um, and in my case, I did have it and I still have it at times harder than others. And so if you can just be 
as resourceful as you can. Um, you know, if you're looking for partnerships, you know, start with thinking like, okay, well, how do I reduce my cost, right? So if I need, you know, products, like you look for product sponsorships. And, you know, over the course of months to years and building that relationship, it could turn into not just product but monetary sponsorships. And, you know, if you need an extra hand, you know, if you need somebody but you can't pay a crew person, you know, there's a lot of really eager, you know, young people in the industry that are doing internships that are, are looking for those opportunities. You know, that's another way to be resourceful. So whatever whatever, whatever situation you find yourself in, you know, don't just think because I, ca I can't, I don't have the funding or I don't have the connections or whatever it may be. Don't let that be the limiting factor. You know, find a way around it. And um, you'd be surprised how helpful people actually want to be in this, you know, somewhat of a, at times, br brutal industry, but, um, I, and I only say that just because it can be cutthroat, because there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of racing drivers, um, it, but not, not enough, not nearly enough opportunities, and um, hopefully the more attention we can bring to this awesome, you know, kick-ass industry, uh, the more opportunities will, will be available. Tell us a little bit more about the W Racing Series. How how is that organized, and how did you go about getting involved in that originally? Yeah, so the W Series is um, groundbreaking. It's the first all-female single-seater series, um, and what makes it really unique is it's a completely funded for uh, a seat for 18 uh, selected drivers. We went through a uh, qualification phase where um, there was over 100-plus uh, applicants, and 60 of which went out to Austria for a type of evaluation where we were in um, road cars in very uh, difficult conditions, um, snow, rain, sleet, ice, the whole nine yards, everything but dry conditions. Um, and we did uh, several different evaluations and modules about, based primarily around, like, car control. And, and then they coupled that with, you know, kind of the typical, you know, marketing and PR and, you know, how you, um, you know, handle not just yourself and how you represent yourself, but how you would, you know, pitch and represent um, a, an associate, a sponsor, the series, um, kind of that full driver package. And once, um, you know, everybody had gone through that three-day evaluation, which was very intense, um, both you know, physically and, and very much so emotionally. Um, definitely have to have a lot of, not only is this, a, you know, a physical sport, um, but you, you really got to have the, the mindset and, and the control over, you know, your mental performance to succeed in, in anything, especially racing. Um, after those three days, they announced 28 drivers that would move forward to the next phase, um, which would be in uh, driving the uh, Formula 3 uh, w Series car in Spain, and I was fortunate to have moved on to that next phase, and that's where the competition really, you know, increased, and that's where it became really apparent that, you know, you can call it a quote-unquote, you know, kind of shootout where, you know, the fastest will survive, and um, over the four-day uh, evaluation in Spain, um, we every day had up to, you know, three to four sessions on track, um, the W Series did an amazing job. I mean, still they are impressing me, you know, day by day on the caliber of the program. There's a lot of money invested in this. It's a tremendous opportunity. I venture to say it's the best 
motorsport opportunity in the world currently and certainly in a very long time. Um, the amount of resources that have been provided, you know, for this is, is just astronomical. Um, and, uh, and, and it's, and it's really very revolutionary in that, you know, the purpose of all of this is, you know, they started to do some data collection and they found that especially in the single seater, you know, ranks in the world, there's actually been a decrease of, of, you know, female involvement. And, um, and so they wanted to make a, you know, they wanted to make a change, um, for that, about that. And the best way to do that was to, you know, get the finances together, um, and put 18 people to the, on the grid. And so in Spain, after these evaluations, um, they announced 18 drivers that would earn their spot for the inaugural season, starting alongside DTM at Hockenheim in two months, in two weeks from now. Um, I just came back from Germany for from a test at Laster Ring, where we were able to work with our engineer uh, and mechanic um, leading into that race. And um, you know, there's also actually two reserve drivers that have been announced. Um, actually, I think they've been announced. Um, there were four, but now there's going to be two uh, reserve drivers, um, so they can continue their skill set. And uh, you know, um, you know, if 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 by any chance that you know they need to be uh, activated into a race, you know that they'll be there and ready to do that. And it's just a, it's a really cool, um, it's a really cool thing. And I really hope the motorsport community, um, you know, not that they not that not that they need to pay attention, but I really hope they do because it's a really cool concept um, that's going to be successful. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of it all, and I feel very grateful. And you know, I've worked you know very hard, and it's cool to see hard work pay off. You know. <laughs> sometimes it pays off, you know, more, more so on certain days than others. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, 11 years later, and just, you know, I'm just the girl next door with, you know, the all American dream and, and, uh, to have made it, you know, thus far is, is humbling. Sounds pretty awesome. It's great. Sounds like it'll be an interesting series to, to watch and hopefully it has a, a lot of following this season. Should be pretty cool. Now you've been in uh, numerous racing machines over the years. Which one's your favorite? Oh gosh, I mean, I know this is going to sound corny, but they're all my favorite. I mean, it's it, any time that you have the opportunity to get behind the wheel of a race car, especially in a competitive environment, anything can be fun. It doesn't matter if you're in, you know, SCCA club racing and spec Miata to you know the the touring car race, the Pirelli World Challenge to you know, Lamborghini Super Trofeo and EMSA to, you know, F3 Americas and then overseas, you know, in the W Series and another F3 chassis. I mean, it's all fun. Um, but I got to say, because it's, you know, fresh, you know, you know, happening right now, um, it's really exciting to, to drive these single seaters. And I think what really excites me about it is just because a lot of it's still kind of new, um, you know, I, when you think that, you know, you're being, you're tapped out and you can't learn anymore, you can always, always learn more. And the driving style that is necessary for the F3 versus like the Super Trofeo Lamborghini, um, some similarities, but yet, you know, quite different. Um, so I'm really enjoying both driving both the F3 America's chassis as well as um, the European chassis with the W series. There's, uh, there are similarities because of the nature of the, you know, the car, it being, you know, a single seater downforce. 
Um, and it's on the same tire, too. It's a hand-cooked tire. Uh, but there's, there's differences because the chassis are from two different manufacturers. And, um, you know, and there's little, like, characteristics that, you know, work better for the America's car than, you know, the European car and, um, and vice versa. And, you know, I got spoiled last year. I feel very fortunate with my sponsors, Lucas Oil, Bubba Burger, and Cool Shirt Systems to have been able to put together that full season effort and Super Trofeo. Um, that car is pretty rad, guys. I mean, it's, you know, just under 630 horsepower, you know, real-world drive, open disc, just, you know, <laughs> grab the bull by its horns. And that, that, was, that was definitely a pun. <laughs> that was intentional. And my final question for you this evening, where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that a little bit more recently just because, like, there's just been so many amazing things happening. And, um, you know, in five years, I I really would like to see myself, you know, competing, obviously, you know, at a at a high level in the professional ranks of auto racing, you know, motor racing. And, um, you know, you know what's a new goal kind of for me because of the single-seater experience? I, I mean, how cool would it be to – to make it to IndyCar? How cool would it be to, to make it to the, you know, Indianapolis 500? I mean, um, sky's the limit. I've never been, I've never really capped myself, but I've always been realistic in, in what is achievable for the time period. And, you know, in five years, I don't know, it's possible. Um, I just, at the end of the day though, I, what I love most in life is driving race cars. And I also really love the business end of motorsports. And I understand you know, all of the aspects of the industry and how to, how, what it takes to be successful. And, um, and, and I'm not, you know, I've had some success, um, but that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that I know everything about it. I'm still learning and, and still, you know, you know, speaking a lot to my mentors like Lynn St. James and, and um, Billie Jean King and, you know, from the, the Women's Sports Foundation and, and utilizing my friendships and, um, and trying to give back at the same time. So, you know, in five years, I, I hope to be, you know, competing at a high level. Um, certainly, you know, a factory ride is, is always the achievable goal that we're, we're all looking for. And, and what, you know, what circuit that might be in and what type of car, I don't know, you know. But I, I think I need to stay open and optimistic and, and just keep going with it. But first and foremost, you know, I'm racing here at uh, with F3 Americas in uh, Road Atlanta at Road Atlanta this weekend, and you just got to kind of take things day by day. Well, we wish you lots of luck in your future. It's been a, an awesome time to you this evening, and it's been great following your career for the past few years. You've been in all sorts of different machines, and that's that's pretty awesome to see that you've you've done pretty well in all of them. So, wish you lots of luck. Yeah. And thanks again for coming. <laughs> I appreciate it. Always fun talking to you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great night. Once again, that was Shay Holbrook, who's been in all sorts of amazing machines over the past few years. She's raced in Product World Challenge. She's raced in the Lamborghini Super Trofeo. A few years before that, she raced in, in the IHRA Nitro Jam Series. And now she's racing in the F3 cars, both in the F3 Americas as well as in the W Series in Europe. So that's pretty awesome, and we can't wait to see what her next step in motorsports is. Be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder, as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network 
at speedwaydigestradionetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of sports at speedwaydigest.com. I haven't had a chance to update the racing news section in about a week, but I'll be able to. I'll be doing that in the next few days. So be sure to check that out. There's a lot of amazing things going on in the world of motorsports, and I want to also review the uh, Barrett-Jackson auction, which I had a chance to go to last week. So that was pretty awesome. And be sure to look for that on the speedwaydigest.com. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at my fairly new site for Borplum's Fantastic Finds. It can be found on Facebook, Twitter, at Faborplums, F-A-B-O-R-P-L-U-M-B-S, and by heading to Faborplums Fantastic Finds dot WordPress dot com. That's F-A-B-O-R-P-L-U-M-B-S Fantastic Finds dot WordPress dot com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again two weeks from now in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Have a great Easter, and we'll see you again in two weeks.